My name is uh, Pastor Brad. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist, and we are starting a brand new series. So if you have this outline, why don't you pull that out? It says, Renewing Your Hope, and you see it says, When You're Discouraged. And really what we're going to be doing over the next few months is um, a study of the book of First Peter. Because there were a lot of things that the first century Christians were going through, a lot of trials, a lot of struggles that they were having, that I think line up great with the 21st century believer in here. And so we're just going to walk through, this ver- uh, through these verses and through these chapters. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you come to 2 Peter, you've gone too far. Jump back. If you're in Hebrews, it's right in between there. It'll also be up on the screen. But let me read it to you. And I'll be reading out the NIV here today. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power unto the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven, uh, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your what church? The salvation of your, of your souls. Well, as we ask this question, okay, what was Peter getting after? What, what, what was he wanting to encourage the first century Christian with? What was taking place? Let me kind of set the stage of the book of First Peter. Because this was the man Peter, who was an apostle, disciple of Jesus, who now Jesus has left, gone back up into heaven, and Peter's there with the other disciples, and he now writes this letter because he wants word to get out. Word that now has gone on until about the 60s. So it's um, the first century, about 30 years after Jesus has gone back up into heaven, and the Christian faith is struggling. Not the growth of it, but the people, the individuals, because they're a little fearful. They're maybe a little frightened at what's taking place in the world. Just like today, we may be a little fearful and a little frightened of what's taking place in our world today. Let me tell you what was taking place. 
Christians were being fed to wild beasts and to lions, literally fed to them because of their faith. Christians were being burned at the stake. The ruler or the emperor, a man by the name of, of Nero, was a ruthless ruler. He burned down the city of Rome, and then he pointed to the Christians, and he said, they're the ones who did it, so that people would turn on them and, and torched, he even lit them on fire, other Christians on fire. Christians were being tortured by Roman soldiers. They were being falsely imprisoned. They were literally battling lions and wild beasts in the Colosseums. And that's stuff that we've heard of and you've seen movies perhaps on that as well. This is just years after um, uh, Peter himself, years, a few years later, Peter himself is going to also be crucified in Rome. Now, you don't think with all that going on, there was a little bit of discouragement that Christians needed to have a, an infusion of hope with, an infusion of saying, hey, it's okay. God is still in this. God's got this. It's all right. In fact, Peter, you want to talk about someone who knew about discouragement. Just a number of years before, Peter was the same one who didn't deny Jesus not once, but not twice, but how many times? Three times. Well, Peter's got 30-something years to reflect on this now and says, hey, I've been there. I know. Some of you may have even rejected your faith for a time. But if you are a part of God's family, you're in. Let me remind you of that. God chose you. God is working in you. God has secured you. You need to know that. And so he's bringing this sense of hope and encouragement to them. In fact, in this little short letter, he uses a word for suffering in the Greek 15 different times. Because there are um, eight different words in the Greek that stand for a sense of suffering. Much like if you would go up to Alaska, you might hear people talk about snow. Uh, Eskimos have some 25 different words for snow because they live in it. It's all around them for much of the year. And so you begin to talk about it and different words come out. In this little letter, there's 15 different measuring, uh, mentionings of suffering, eight different words in the Greek for this word suffering. And in this little letter, it speaks to not only the first century Christians, but to us today. Because we need an infusion of hope. Not only in our city, but in our country, in future generations to come, in our children, in our grandchildren. Uh, Dr. Ahmed Cooley uh, was a professor at Harvard Medical School. And for many years, he was an advisor to the White House on mental health. He's a Christian man. Here's what he said. He said, we have experienced in this nation an explosive increase of hopelessness. In fact, I just looked up the new stats. 15 million people being treated for depression today in our country. 1.1 million people a year feel like it's so hopeless that they try and commit suicide. 44,000 of them actually um, succeed in committing that suicide. 44,000 people saying, I have no more hope, so I'm just going to die. One expert called it the age of despair. We need hope. And Peter knows that. He grabs onto that. He says, okay, let's talk about this. And, and, and a theme that kind of goes <clears throat> throughout this entire letter, um, uh, let me summarize in kind of three quick little points. They're not on your outline, but you can kind of keep them in mind or you can scribble them in the, in the margin. Let me give you just a few words about discouragement, okay? 
Discouragement is, is a universal disease. We, we all get discouraged from time to time. It, it's a little bit like the common cold. You're going to get it. You're going to catch it from now and again. Okay? But much like the common cold, it's very contagious because if you're around discouraging people, you kind of walk away a little discouraged yourself, don't you? It happens. And so not only is it universal that we all get it, not only is it contagious, but I think the good news is, is that it's easily curable. And like the common cold, it can quickly be overcome. And so Peter jumps into this and he says, okay, if you are a believer in Christ, because that's who this letter is written to. This is written to the believers. If you're a believer in Christ, let me help you understand some things about your faith that will lift your discouragement. All right, the first thing he says is this. You can write this in. He says, God has chosen me to be a part of his family. God has chosen me to be a part of his family. That's why it's so much fun to see people baptized up there. It's kind of that symbolism of new life and coming into a, a, a new faith. And, and Pastor Derek kind of mentioned that we had a gal up there who was getting baptized. She had called her sister. Sister lives in Virginia, Sybil. Uh, and said, I want to come out, and can I get baptized as well? Because she has a faith in Jesus Christ. And so we see, even, even in a, an immediate family, in a biological family, knowing that they are in God's family together. Chose, God has chosen me to be a part of this family. Let me read the verse out of um, verse 1, or excuse me, chapter 1 of verse 2. It says, To God's elect, who have been, the word there is chosen, picked, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God, in other words, Peter says, God has chosen you. He's picked you. He says, I want you, you, to be mine. And it's not based on race. It's not based on age. It's not based on nationality. It's not based on sex. It's not based on physical limitations. It's not based on makeup. God has chosen you just because of who you are. He made you. He loves you. He says, you are mine, but we need to choose him. That's, the, that's all that's left. God's already chosen you. We just need to choose him. You know, last week, if you were here, and I know so many of you were, we saw 20 little miracles up here on the stage, his little feet. And I am sure, I am sure many of you said, ooh, I'd love to take that one home with me. I'd love to take him. I'd love to take her. I mean, I mean, throughout the time, you know, they were talking about adoption and all that other kind of thing. And I'm sure you saw some of those kids. You said, that would be so much fun to have them uh, uh, a part of uh, my family. I, in fact, I think some of you wanted to adopt all of them at some point or another. Um, but here's the good news. Many of you did adopt in a, in a way. 35 of you said, yeah, I'm going to sign up for a Compassion International where I can support a child. And that is on top of hundreds and hundreds of others of you who over the years, probably in the last 10, 15 years, that we've had his little feet, children of the world here, have adopted kids and supported kids um, throughout. In fact, there was one gal who was out there, and she had eight different names in front of her. She had eight different pictures, and it was like she was saying, I want them all. I can't decide. Who am I going to take? You know, that's what God says with us. He wants us all. And he chooses us all. And he can do that. His love for us by Jesus dying on the cross has allowed all of us to be chosen by him. Has allowed all of us to be a part of his family. 
It's a grace. We, we sang that song. This is amazing love. This is amazing grace. Remember the, the, the hymn, most recognizable song probably nationally is amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was what? Lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. God's amazing grace chooses us to be a part of his family. That's what he has said about us. Verse 3, let me go on. It says, praise then, be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living what? A living hope. There's the theme that Peter just kind of drives and drives and drives. The hope that you can have that comes about because of his mercy for you. In fact, look at that word mercy. Maybe circle it in your Bibles or on your notes if it's in there uh, on your outline. Mercy means it's, it's given by God. In fact, it's, it's nothing that we even deserve to have. We can't earn it. We're not good enough for it. But God says, no, it's given to you anyway. Why? Because I pick you to be a part of my family. It's, it's a new birth, describes Peter. It's a new birth. Last Sunday, I know what many of you were doing uh, from 3.30 till 6.30 or 7. You were watching a Super Bowl football game. I was watching it as well. Um, but the thing that stirred me kind of the most there was the beginning um, national anthem. And um, it reminded me back to um, a game that was played, I think it was in the early 90s, down in Pasadena, where uh, Whitney Houston sang the national anthem. Some of you will remember this. Uh, it was a time when um, America was going into the Gulf War, and it had just happened a few weeks beforehand. And so America was kind of very patriotic at the time. There were many, many flags. People had little flags there waving at the game. I remember watching. And Whitney Houston sang a rendition of the national anthem that is one of the most famous ever. Uh, uh, ever. Um, flyover happened right afterwards, and it was just a place of kind of euphoria uh, for our country and identifying with our country. But what's interesting about this is... is Whitney Houston was one of the most recognizable um, artists uh, of, our, of our era, really. She won before her death two Emmys, six Grammys, 30 Billboard Music Awards, 22 American Music Awards. Um, in fact, in 2009, Guinness Book of World Records cited her as the most awarded female act of all time. And yet the thought that I am giving you today Never fully sunk in for Whitney Houston. She said she gave her life to Christ at one point in time. She even sang in, I think it was a church, and, 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 and had gospel in her upbringing. But this thought that God has chosen you never went really deep with her because the people who knew her best knew that she struggled with um, her self-image and her self-esteem. She had incredibly low self-esteem. In fact, Kevin Cosner was in a few movies with her. He said at her funeral, he said, the Whitney I knew, despite her success and worldwide fame, the Whitney I knew wondered, am I good enough? Am I pretty enough? Will they like me? Speaking about her music and her movies and other things that she would do. She had this, this desire to be liked and to be included that 
even though so much of America would say yes, 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 eventually led to her death where she died by an overdose of drugs and drowned in a tub of water in a penthouse room in a hotel. Whitney Houston died in 2011, 2012, right around there. Because I believe she never fully digested these words of saying, God loves me, God chooses me, God loves me unconditionally. And my thought here today is that there are probably some people in here who are struggling with the same type of low self-esteem, who are struggling with the same type of issues that Whitney was. And let me just remind you, yes, God chooses you, no matter what you are going through. Maybe you have a tough test coming up this week. Maybe you're facing just a test in general. Maybe it's a medical test. Maybe it's a relationship that you've got to start making some decisions with that is just not going right. God has chosen you. And that choosing doesn't just stop when you say yes. That choosing continues on throughout salvation. He still chooses. He can continues to choose you each and every day. In fact, no matter what happens, and this is the next feeling on your outline, no matter what happens, God will love you. No matter what. In fact, let me even say it this strongly. Let me go one step further. He knows your background and still loves you. He knows your secrets that nobody else knows. And he still chooses to love you. Now, that's not good news. I don't know what is. And some of you have been hidden from that. Some of you have been blinded from that. Some of you have been had your ears covered from that, and that just cannot happen anymore. You need to know how much God loves you and how much he chooses you. So let me go on to the second point. What this also means here, what Peter's getting at, is that God is working in my life. God's working in your life. God is working and he will not stop working. Even when you're going through problems, even when God maybe feels like he's a million miles away, he is still working in you. He is still working on you. Now you say, how is he working on me? Right there in verse 2, Peter shares it. He says, he's working on you through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Sanctification, that's the process that we all become more like Jesus. Salvation is a one-time experience. These people up here shared about their salvation experience. They've already given their lives to Christ. Now, sanctification is that process of becoming more like Jesus each and every day. And that was a step of obedience for them. All ten of them who got baptized up here today um, and, and then in the next service as well. It's a step of obedience. That's the sanctification process of saying, yes, I'll be baptized and I'll represent and show what Jesus has done in my life. Another version translates this as saying, the Holy Spirit has been at work in your hearts cleansing you with the blood of Jesus Christ and making you to please him. It's God's spirit that is at work in us. Let me demonstrate this another way. Um, I have here a $100 bill. Benjamin Franklin is on it, so he validates it for me. All right? Um, our country government says this is worth how much? $100. All right. Just said that. Okay. Even when this $100 bill is 
crumpled up, even when this $100 bill is smushed into a little ball, even when this $100 bill is thrown onto the ground and stamped upon, okay? If I open this back up, how much is this $100 bill worth? None of you are going to say, oh, Pastor Brad, that's not a clean, crisp $100 bill, so I don't want it, will you? Any of you would come up and take it, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? I bet you would. Yeah, yeah. Because our government backs it by saying the value of this is how much? $100. Even if I would take this and tear this in half. No, I'm not doing that, right? But even if I did, even if I did, one of the sides would have more of it than another. This is a proven fact. Even if a dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill is torn in half, one of the sides that has the most of the paper on it is still worth a hundred dollars. Now the other side's worth nothing because if you tore it directly in half and you created two and you made two hundred dollars, that would be like really good, right? But you can't. One side's going to have more than the other. Fifty-one percent is 100% valued. Let me say that again. 51% has 100% value. And you as a Christian, even if you have been torn up, tampered, stattered, torn apart, stepped on on the ground, and you feel that just from life, know that God looks at you and says you are worth more than $100. You are worth endless amounts of money. You are worth endless amounts of value, God says, to me. Even when you don't feel like it, you have it. You say, well, how is that? Look, look, look at what you have. Let me show you what else you have in this verse. It says, you, God is working in your life through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ, sprinkled with His blood. And then it says, now what you can have is grace and peace, and may it be yours in abundance says Peter. Captain, hold on to that thought. Grace and peace. If there's anything that I want for you as your pastor, if there's anything our staff wants for you, if there's anything our deacons want for you, it's that you might experience God's grace and peace, that you might understand what his grace is, that God chose you, and that you would rest in that and that, that experience would lead to peace, the peace that God is working in you and that God is in control. Because once you understand grace, peace is not far behind. Okay, let me give you the second kind of point there that what this leads to. And that is to know that God's working in my life means that no matter what, God will help you. That's what that means means God will help you. And, and, you know, we've all kind of heard that phrase, God helps those who help themselves. That is totally bogus. God helps those who cannot help themselves. That's what grace is. That's what we need to know. That's what we need to experience. You say, really? How, how do we know that? By what I had already read. I mean, you just track right through there. You see in verse 3 where it talks about God's incredible mercy that is given to you. It talks about in verse 4 that it won't perish. In verse 5, it says it's shielded by God's power and our faith. In verse 6, it says, so rejoice. In fact, with whatever you are going through, he is starting to say, look, verse 6 talks about look bigger picture. Look eternal perspective. It's bigger than what you are just dealing with right now. He said, well, what about my right now? 
I'm not going, I, I, I'm not feeling great about this. You know, I don't feel like I'm in God's family because of the things that are happening to me. Look at verse 7. Look what Peter says. Some of these difficulties that have come about. He says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The picture there is kind of gold as it's refined and the impurities rise to the top and they're skimmed off. It's being refined. It's being honed. Your faith is being proven by what you're going through. And we go through it. I mean, being a Christian doesn't make you immune to it. In fact, um, I had a letter that was written to me this last week. Let me, let me read it to you. She writes, Pastor Brad, she says, I'm a Christian. She said, yet I have almost always felt that there was something missing. She says, I was listening to a preacher say one time that he was led by the Holy Spirit to tell his congregation to repent of the sin of loneliness. But I was skeptical when I heard that. She said, isn't being lonely a feeling, and aren't we entitled to our feelings? Aren't we supposed to be relational and to love one another? She said that he went on to explain that the God of all creation, the God of the universe, loved us so much that he sent his precious son, Jesus, to die a horrible death to pay for our sins. And that Jesus then rose again, but promised the third part of God that is the comforter, the guide, the Holy Spirit to live within us. And she says, the Holy Spirit, she puts this in bold, lives in me. She said, do you know, she says, you know that hole that we all kind of talk about as Christians, that one that everybody says that we as good Christians are not supposed to fill with, you know, drugs and drinking and sex and food. We're only supposed to fill it with God. She says, um, I have been guilty of trying to fill that hole that only God can fill, of trying to fill it with people. She says, as you know, Pastor Brad, God has taken my dad, my mom, my son, brother-in-law, father-in-law, uncle, nearly lost my sister, my brother, and my sister-in-law to health complications just within the last few years. She even said her daughter got married, and she said, um, and in a sense, that would have left another big hole in my heart. But then she writes... It would have, because now it doesn't, because I decided to repent of my loneliness. She said, I repented of ignoring the Holy Spirit and trying to find something better to comfort me and to fill me up. And she said, it has made the biggest difference in my life. I felt like I was getting to see my best friend and I, that I hadn't seen in ages. I was jumping up and down inside with such great joy. And when I think of the terrible, hurting, sore spot of my son and mom passing away, it no longer hurts as it did. I would see them in heaven one day. I know that. In fact, Pastor Brad, I waited a while because I didn't want to tell you this because I was afraid. Maybe it wouldn't last. But I continued to be filled up and have great joy. And I know that only God could do that in the midst of my deep, deep sorrow. She affirms this point here. That God is working, and God will continue to work, even in our momentary problems, even in the things, even in the losses that we have, says no matter what, God will help me. She goes on to write, I now have more peace, more comfort, more confidence in God's plan, even when it doesn't always make sense to me. 
And that's so important for us to realize. That the things we go through, they won't always make sense now. However, one day we'll look back. One day, maybe it's on this side of heaven or maybe it's on the other and say, okay, God, I understood more, I understand more now of what you were doing. But to get to that place, we have to realize, and it's on the back, the last point that's on the back, that God has secured my future. God has secured my future. How do you know that? Look at verse 4 and 5. It says, into an inheritance that can never, what's the word there? It can never what? Perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, that is one reservation that will never be canceled. In fact, go back and look at that first point there, where God says, I choose you. Let me say another way of saying that. God saying, I choose you, means he is also saying, I will never unchoose you. Now, I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm using it here today, all right? I will never unchoose you. And the reason I want to say that is because some of you have been unchosen by a father or a mother. Some of you have been unchosen by a son or a daughter. Some of you have been unchosen by a spouse. Some of you have been unchosen by a boss. And it's hard sometimes for us to not put those projections on God, but God has said in his word, I will never unchoose you. He does not have an undo button. He does not have a delete button on this salvation gift that he has given to us. When it is accepted, fully understood and accepted in our lives, and we bow the knee and say, Jesus, yes, I bow the knee to you. You say, Pastor Brad, how, how can I know that for sure? Well, look at this verse here out of Titus. Titus chapter 3, and, and let me kind of walk you through some things that maybe will help us solidify this in our lives. It says, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his what? All right, so follow that train of thinking. I'm going to come back to that real quick here, but let me go on. It says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope, the hope of eternal life. All right, there's a lot in that, but let me just kind of summarize that by saying this. If God did not choose you or save you based on your performance, that means God will not unchoose you or unsave you based upon your performance. You get that? It says here that not because of the righteous things we had done, he saved us, but because of his mercy. And when God gives that mercy and it's fully accepted by us, then we can say yes. And it means that we don't walk through life feeling like we're going to continue to lose it. It means we don't have to walk through life saying, oh, I sinned over here. Oops, I'm not going to be a part of God's family. Oh, this happened over here. God's going to unchoose me. Now, it does not mean, though, that we can just do whatever we want. That would be cheap grace. What it means is that when God chooses us, we fully understand what that means, and then we begin to live a different life. We live for him. We live all out for him. 
Because we know, as it says in Jeremiah 29, 11, that he has plans for us. In fact, the words go on to say, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a, oh, what is it? A what? A hope and a future. Those things are true about you. If you have Christ in your life. And the reason I think this is so important is because some of you are in here, you're a little discouraged. Maybe you're even a little fearful. Maybe you've kind of even said, you know what, maybe I won't become a Christian because I'm afraid that I won't be able to please God or I'm afraid that I'm going to sin and it's going to disappoint God. Folks, you will sin. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's the grace. That's the mercy that he has for us. You will let God down. But when he sees you and you have Christ in your life, nothing, nothing will be able to separate you. That does not let you down. God says, my child, I have so much more for you. I want so much more for you. There's so much better things that you could be doing with your life. I want to continue to sanctify you. But your salvation, it's good. It's locked in. Now, how do I know that? Look at Romans Chapter 8, verse 35, where it says, Who is ever going to separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. You know, in this day and age, we might experience more and more and more of this. This is what the first century Christians were going through. And Paul steps in there and says, along with Peter, Peter reiterates these kind of teachings. He says, no matter what you're going through in this culture, it's not going to separate you from the love that is found in Jesus Christ. And he says, nothing's going to do that because you are super conquerors through Christ. And he goes on to say in verses 38 and 39, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. You can throw the kitchen sink in there. I think he covered it all in those verses. It, it, no matter where you are, his love reaches down to you. Because he's chosen you. You're a part of his family. And so the last thing that I want to communicate is that no matter what happens, God keeps you. You're secure. God has secured your future. No matter what happens, he keeps you. And so Peter's conclusion here is really, I think, highlighted in this little section in verse 6 where he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. What he's saying here is even though you're going through it, you can rejoice. Even though you're in the midst of it, you can praise God. Even though you are just facing it, and maybe you feel like this $100 bill where you are cramped up, stamped on, pushed down, stomped on, you still have that value that I've given to you because you're one of my children. I've chosen you. And because I've chosen you, I'm working in you. And when I choose you and I work in you, that means you can just rely upon my security in your life. Nothing's going to pluck you out of my hand. You're my child. I love you. Because God says, I choose you. 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 It comes down to us, though. Do we choose him back? Today, I pray that you have made that decision. That you have chosen him. We just saw 10 people get baptized. Each of them who have said, I have chosen God in my life. 
If today you have not been baptized or today you would say, I, I should have been up in those waters, the next time I will, I want to make sure you know that your salvation is secure. And then we pray that you would take those steps. For those of you in here who you know your faith is clean and good, then you hold on to that truth. And those trials that come by, Peter says, they will refine your hope. The hope that is not in people, the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and for the way Peter drills down and says you can have a hope, a hope that is found in Jesus. Lord, that same hope that came to those first century Christians is that same hope for us today. And yet 2,000 years later, we can even see more and more of our brothers and sisters who face the difficulties, who face the struggles, who face the trials. And Lord, they persevered because they held on to that hope that Jesus talked about. They held on to that hope that Paul wrote about, that Peter wrote about. And so Lord, even here today as we sing about that incredible hope that you've given to us, as we sing about that amazing love and grace that you have extended to us, that we are here to hold on to that. Because you are so faithful. You are so faithful to us. You know, folks, today, um, I know there are some of you who, if you were really pushed upon it, you would not be able to say, yes, I have that hope in my life. You still feel it's far off. You've been trying to fill your life up with other things instead of with God himself through his son Jesus who went to the cross. And so I'm just going to ask you that question. If you have never received Christ into your life, today should be the day you do it. Don't go another day. Don't go another hour. Don't go another moment. You might walk out of this building. You never know when your life will be taken from you. Today is the day to say yes to Jesus. Today is the day to say, Jesus Christ, I give you my life. I believe in great faith. That Jesus, you are who you say that you are. You're God's son. Given on the cross for me. And today I place my trust in you. Today I repent of my sins. Today I turn, I walk, I follow you now. And I pray to receive you into my life. If today those words has resonated with your heart, would you just in your minds, just in your hearts, say the word Jesus. Jesus, I invite you in. You know, today we'd love to celebrate that decision with you. If today you uh, came with a friend, I'd invite you to share that decision you just made today. Or if you'd like to come down to the front, I'd be honored to get the chance to talk with you. Pastor Stephen here, other pastors, Pastor Scott, Derek, we'd love the chance to get to help you just know about this great faith. And celebrate with you and pray with you and celebrate what you have just done. Your step of now saying, Jesus, I place my entire faith and trust in you because now you can have that hope. That one day, everything you are going through will be honed and fired, refined into a great faith that culminates in salvation one day in heaven. God, thank you for working in and through us. Thank you for sanctifying us through the sprinkled blood of Jesus. We love you. We thank you for what that means. We rejoice in that now. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray.